There was a point in time where I was pouring my paychecks into keeping the business afloat. That is why we didn't close within the first six months is because my job paid for that. Uh, and it caused a great amount of stress because we didn't know that much was at stake to the point where we almost uh, needed to move out of our house. Welcome to Fortune and Faith, a show about members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and how their faith influenced and oftentimes sustained them as they persevere through obstacles, failures, and challenges on their quest for success. I'm Jason Tang. Doctors Leslie Temple and her husband Brigham both work in medicine. Leslie is in family practice and Brigham is an emergency room physician. Being in the healthcare sector, it may not be surprising to hear that they also created and launched a healthy food establishment called Mingle Juice Bar in Glenview, Illinois, just outside of Chicago. An entrepreneurial adventure Leslie's always dreamed of doing. However, the dream of building a business from the ground up and the reality of what it often takes to keep it afloat while continuing to work full-time is a hard lesson for Leslie to learn, and one that almost puts her family in a financial downfall. But before we get to the juice, we'll start this story in the year 2000 when Leslie graduated from medical school prior to meeting her husband and learning about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. After graduating from the University of Santo Tomas, Faculty of Medicine in Surgery, which is a Catholic medical school in Manila, Philippines, I then moved back to the States uh, after a lot of um, interviews and not knowing where I would be, ending up at Northwestern University's uh, family medicine residency program. And in the first three months I was there, I was on the ICU rotation, and that's when I um, was assigned a group led by Brigham R. Temple, um, who was second-year ER resident. And it was pretty uh, pretty fortuitous for us to be scheduled together because normally family medicine and the ER residents don't mix. So we were definitely put together for a reason um, because it would be possible that during our entire training career that we could possibly ha- never have met because they're big programs. We don't have a lot of uh, other rotations in common. So he was my senior resident assigned to oversee all the other group of interns and we were assigned patients. And that was a very stressful time for me because I had gone to school in the Philippines and I felt like I didn't know anything about really modern critical care medicine because in the Philippines, our version of the ICU was much more rudimentary and, um, it didn't have the technology that we have here in the U.S. And so he is a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and, and you're Catholic. Yeah. Um, obviously, yeah. you met, and something must have, you know, there's a, a nice connection for the both of you. Yes. Yes. When when he told you he was LDS, and or, or when you told him you were Catholic, was there any kind of, like, oh, maybe this won't work, or was that never an issue with the relationship? It was more of a, well, well, we'll just deal with it when we, <laughs> when we have to deal with it. You just start dating. You're interested in each other. And he actually um, was a little more pursuing of me because um, I was off, fresh off of another relationship. So I really wasn't interested in diving right back in. Um, I was so nervous about this ICU rotation that I, I chopped my hair off from like 
below my shoulder blades to like chin length because I didn't want to ever be late for this rotation trying to, you know, blow dry my hair. That's how nervous I was. I was the last thing I was looking for was any kind of relationship and I was going to prove myself and I'm just as good as the U.S. graduates in medical school. And here I get this um, very handsome, clear, blue-eyed, white guy. (laughs) So it's me. I'm Filipino. You can't see that on on the video or you can't see that on this this interview. But um, he just was not my type. But it's there was something about him. And I didn't really know what. Mormon meant I didn't know that LDS and Mormon were the same thing I know we call it different things but I just thought oh he's he's asking me out and um, showing interest and helping me a lot because during that rotation I struggled with lots of imposter syndrome and feeling inadequate I didn't you know feel like I knew that maybe I wasn't as smart as the other people in my group who are U.S. medical graduates and I was just pretty scared the whole time, but he helped me a lot in learning medicine and how to take care of the critical care patient. And so that, that helped a lot. So I joked that he was my boss for only one month. <laughs> that was the rest it, of the time, I guess I was his boss, but. And it sounds like maybe equal. he had some uh, ulterior motives to, to help you yeah, as well. Maybe, so. maybe. Yeah. So he was kind of in an advantageous position, but um, the, the fun part was, uh, really finding out that he, we had a lot in common when we were signing off from an ICU shift and he had removed his, remember when we had CV, CDs and DVD players? Right, of course. Remember CDs? I do. He was pulling He was pulling it out, his music, and it was all salsa music. And I'm like, oh, you don't listen to salsa music. You dance to salsa. And then I said, do you ballroom dance? And then he just goes, oh, yes, I used to compete. Next thing you know, he's asking me out on a date during our rotation, which was sort of like a little bit of a no-no. But I'm like, "Uh, okay. Um, So we went on our first date um, during that rotation. And that's when, you know, you had that, you're talking in the car till like 3 a.m. And we had to be at work at 6 a.m. And we were just talking and having a great time. But we were exhausted afterwards because we had stayed up all I can night. Imagine, yeah. After a night of dancing and then talking in the car and getting to know each other, so um, I don't recall there being much conversation about are you Catholic, are you Mormon, what is that? We just started dating, and it was just it was a natural thing. So the natural progression, of course, in dating is to probably get married, yeah, and, and okay. that's where you guys mm-hmm. got to. Mm-hmm. When you got married. How did you decide where to get married? Because obviously he's LDS and, and you're yeah, Catholic yeah. and you know, you've got to figure out what, how are both families going to react to this? Well, I think he just, the path of least resistance for me, I think I took the traditional stance that the bride gets what she wants really. And so I knew that that's where I wanted to get married. That's how I always envisioned where I would be married. Um, but I was not someone who was really hardcore Catholic, even though I grew up in the Catholic church, I went to Sunday school and um, an all girls Catholic high school, which I love, uh, loved. Um, and then even went on to a Catholic medical school. Um, then I meet this lovely Mormon boy <laughs> who 
who sweeps me off my feet, but I still want to get married in the Catholic church. And he just pretty much, okay. I mean, I'm just want to get married. Um, and we got married in Los Angeles in the Catholic church. And that's where my, my family is in California. So that really worked out very well for my side of things. And, um, Brigham's family was, they were just really good sports because I knew that that's not what their wish was, but they were happy that Brigham got married because I guess in, uh, in uh, the LDS world, at getting married at the age of 33 is considered kind of old. Oh, they were happy then. <laughs> no, oh, it was to, big celebrations. Yeah, we, it became like, will you just marry somebody? <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, and, and not to disparage anyone who gets married later in life, but all my friends growing, like all my friends got married in their 30s, even mid 30s, because we put our, you know, our marriage on hold, career studies and all that. And just it's different in you know, the it just LDS wasn't, world. It, it is, yeah. In my world, it was you. You did that first. You focused on that, and then hopefully you found somebody. So I don't want to uh, say that thirty-three is a standard, but you know, in the LDS world, it's, it's it's a little older. Yeah. Yes, it was. So I think at that point they were just thrilled. He's marrying a nice, normal woman. Yeah, doctor <laughs> in their, in their right? Yeah. Yeah. So you're married in a Catholic church in Los Angeles, but week in and week out, you attend church at your local congregation or award, as it's called, at the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So how did, how did you both decide where you're going to attend church each Sunday? So we got married in a Catholic church in Los Angeles, but then we were, gonna, we were staying in Chicago. And me, not really, to my parents' chagrin, that I never really went regularly to Catholic church in Chicago, I went then with the path of least resistance because Brigham was very um, intent on staying and going to the church. So he, you know, I did ask him, do you think you'd ever convert to Catholicism? And I got a pretty firm no on that. And I'm like, okay, well, it was okay because I was what you would probably call the lukewarm Catholic, cultural Catholic. So it was okay because if I weren't, I wouldn't have married him if I were very, very staunch about it. So um, my own, I guess you would say flexibility led to us going to the Chicago ward and then irregularly at that, because I, I, it took me a while to get it. You know, for someone coming from the outside, church was three hours at that point. Catholic church is one hour. So I was like, oh my gosh, I, this is my precious Sunday what are these two extra hours for? And why is everyone talking to me? Why are you wanting to know all my business? It's just like it was. And then once you get past that, it's like they, you really just want to genuine people just genuinely want to genuinely want to know who you are and um, because they want to serve you. But that, that was just different to me. And um, without any other precedent um, coming in at first, I was very slow to the game, but we did go. And that's because that would, it made Brigham happy. And then when his parents would visit, we would go to church together. And for a long time, actually, when we moved to from Chicago to, to Buffalo Grove, Illinois, um, people just assumed I was a member for a long time because I just came. But they didn't know. I was an investigator for a very long time. Yep. For many years. And then you mm -hmm. you started having kids to 2006. Yes. I think you have three kids and you, every two years, I think you had them and you would go to church mm -hmm. with them and they would learn. But then something happened when your yeah. oldest became yeah. the year uh, to be yeah. baptized at eight and, and you felt 
mm-hmm. something a change sure. so describe so what happened for you as we were going to our ward and i was actually given a calling because my kids were in nursery so i was put in the nursery which was perfectly uh which i was very happy to be there because then i was with my kids all the time um my and we're talking like i it wasn't until my oldest tony turned eight where he was starting to get to that point where we're talking about baptism and in the catholic church you get baptized near birth and so and he ha- was baptized in actually all my children have been baptized in the catholic church and then they were later on baptized you know at age eight because of the way i wanted that to be um by the time we were planning for tony's baptism i had heard a talk in church by one of the members husbands who is now deceased and he said something that struck me about um and when he said something about when my father baptized me it was that 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 and then for some reason that really struck me that wait a minute you i could be baptized by someone i love and i knew that tony's baptism was coming up and that's when i thought it's time it's time for me to to have that happen too and i wanted to do it with tony because then it's a two for one <laughs> and, then, and I knew I wanted Brigham to do it. So at that point, I I had been also inquiring, like, what does it take? I'd ask a question here or there, but my husband he never pushed. My in-laws, they never pushed. And that was really important to me because I'm the type of person that stubbornly, if you start to push me, I will, I will then take five more years <laughs> to come around. And so um, that was handled very well and very patiently because that's how, that's how you know the spirit will guide you it won't be people guilting you into why aren't you why aren't you converted yet why don't you just do it already it no one ever made me feel that way it was being led by the spirit and deeply listening to those cues and then telling my bishop i'm ready to hear the missionary discussions and you can just hear this like joy <laughs> like on the other side like at last <laughs> it was <laughs> And it's always it's always a joyous occasion for sure when someone decides they want to be baptized and to follow the example of the Savior. And right away, you had the opportunity to provide service to members of the ward congregation because you actually brought someone into your house to live with you who had eventually become your business partner. She was my visiting teacher. And we had found out that she was nannying for someone else in church uh, but needed a place to stay while she because the other people she was nannying for didn't have enough room for her so we said well you we have room in our house you can stay with us maybe you can help us with our kids like if we want to go out at night because we could never go out unless we hired a babysitter it was a big production so after a while you just don't go out unless you make a concerted effort on date night and we were just not those kinds of people so we would just wouldn't go anywhere and then when kim came along because she we were like her her side gig, I guess, she would babysit for us in exchange for um, a temporary housing situation. So she lived downstairs and um, helped her out. And we knew in the spirit of service, you that's how you help people out. And it um, over time, what happened was that she uh, started preparing these really delicious smoothies and, and cold-pressed veggie juices. And this was that era of um, when juicing was still really very popular and intriguing and hot. And uh, there was this guy named Joe Cross who lo- lost a ton of weight and he had a documentary or some film made. And 
It was super popular and juice bars started cropping up everywhere. And we thought, why don't we own it? Why don't we open a juice bar together? Um, and that's when the business idea happened. And so that was during Kim's temporary stay, which ended up being about three years. Actually, <laughs> um, So it wasn't as temporary. Three months turned into three, three years. years. Uh, we opened up the juice bar in um, 2014. The, the opening day was July 9th, but it took a year to plan it all. Uh, but really that talk about um, really divine intervention. How do you get a visiting teacher assigned to you um, <laughs> that, has her needs, we have our needs, and then this crazy idea is sparked, leading to something that has changed our lives and will change our lives forever. Owning a, a business on top of our full-time medical practices. And people ask, like, why did you do that? And it's, we didn't have to do this. But um, Brigham and I had, we had always talked about having our own business. Wouldn't that be cool? And so I'll tell you that that is cured now. I'm My entrepreneurial bug has been totally, that has been totally quenched that thirst. Because now I know what it takes to open a business having had no business experience, but we were also, I was experiencing some of the, the downsides of being in corporate medicine, being an employee and the, uh, the, the fun salad days of being a physician were way over by the time I joined, <laughs> but I still love it. Um, but there were salary cuts and um, things like that that just told me this this career you're in now that you worked so hard for, you've hit the ceiling and that you have nowhere to go but down. And that got me uh, restless, uh, sort of that midlife crisis, so to speak, like I want to do something else. I want to do something creative. I'm my own boss. And that is when Kim fell into our lives and we opened a juice bar. So that's really the... Uh, um, Long and short of how we, why would two doctors open up a, a restaurant business? And when you and you think about that too, because opening up a business, as you know now, takes a lot of time. Something that you don't have oh, a lot of. Right. And it, right. if Kim needed, you know, help housing, she probably doesn't have a lot of, of capital backing. So right. Right. you're you're leveraging your capital and her time. Is my mm -hmm. guess is how you structured? Yes, doing yes. it. So she has been. She's been the sweat equity. Uh, as everything is her recipes and, you know, her creations. We were the, uh, the financial, legal, all the logistics stuff. We had the credit to get a big uh, small business, uh, SBA, I think it's Small Business yep. Administration loan, uh, lower interest, but we only got it because we have very good credit and whatnot. But, you know, once you start signing leases and documents, next thing you know, you're, all right, we're in this. Um, and she, um, you know, really made it go, but it was not easy. That's when you really get to know, um, the strengths and weakness of strengths and weaknesses of people when you, or when you get into business with each other. So, and, and yeah. when you look at the history of, of small businesses and especially in, in the food category, you know, 80% of them fail within the first year. <laughs> Now you you've been mm -hmm. fortunate not to, but you had some rough times. Yes. You know what were some the of the beginning. some what were some of the challenges that that you and and Brigham and Kim as a you know one of the, not, not the owner but you know part of it sure. we had to go through. Well, first of all, just having um, really no prior business experience whatsoever, 
<laughs> number one. Um, number two is taking out a big loan and uh, building a business without any of our own savings being put into it. Um, that uh, and not um, realizing that businesses take a while to take off. So if you can open up a storefront, hire all the right people, but if no one's walking through your doors and buying your smoothies and your acai bowls, then your uh, expenses eclipse the income greatly and very quickly. So there was a point in time where I was pouring my paychecks into keeping the business afloat. That is why we didn't close within the first six months is because my job paid for that. Uh, and it caused a great amount of stress because we didn't know that we didn't know that much was at stake to the point where we almost uh, needed to move out of our house and get something smaller and a less, um, you know, less expensive neighborhood and whatnot um, because of this fun idea that was Leslie's hobby. <laughs> so that caused uh a fair amount of friction and as well as expectations on each other and uh, with Kim living with us too boundaries were very hard to set and um, she had her own um, emotional struggles as well her mother had passed away um, in the midst of all of this and um, I had functionally lost a, a business partner who was not uh, functioning very well and Brigham and I couldn't just take the day off and go run the juice bar so at some point I was we were I was really panicking I, I would say I had a fair amount of PTSD after those first two years where we were barely barely making it um, and thank goodness my my paychecks really helped keep that open um, so for those first few years um, my advice to anybody who thought who thinks, hey, I think I'll open up a juice bar or a boba tea, boba tea place. I said, do you have two years of extra income to live off of? <laughs> if you, you know, just in case you want to keep this afloat and it's not going gangbusters in the beginning. Um, and that, that was very hard. It was a humongous test of our faith as to like, why would we, why did I feel so driven to do this? Why? We didn't have to do this. We could have invested in some condos and been a landlord you know and just collect rent <laughs> like why did we why did we do this and um you know we worked out a lot with um the numbers Brigham had kind of calculated how many extra amount what amount of extra time would I need to work if this business went belly up and he calculated I think I could I could tolerate that risk because we really wanted to do it but then when you go through it that's when you're really tested and I'm I can't tell you how important going to church every Sunday was because I was grasping for any bits of like hopeful, inspirational thoughts, um, good sources, good strokes of luck for us and blessings to come our way because I didn't, you know, there was no one else that could help us. Um, your payrolls due, the credit cards are due, the SBA loan is due, and we made a fraction of what we need to make. So I'll, here goes the paycheck going in again um, but then there came a point where the sales had strengthened and I didn't need to do that as much uh, and then it um, was just kind of paying for itself but it took a long time let's go back to the, the time where I think it's important to kind of you know delve into more where you said you went to church and that helped you 
was there any incident incident or, or, or talk or scripture that helped really help buoy you up or was it just kind of overall that going helped? Oh, boy, there were a few times where um, when, when my business partner was falling apart after her mother had passed away and having panic attacks and we're like, Oh my gosh, do we need to close the juice bar today? Are, are we, are you coming in or not? <laughs> um, how are we? That's when maybe church would roll around in a couple of days and someone, it was the speakers, the people who were chosen by our bishopric to give the kind of messages that the congregation needs to hear. I, I really believe that's true because whatever happened in those those few months where we were really struggling with um, our mental health, my mental health, the business falling apart if someone didn't show up, um, there would be something said during every sacrament meeting and taking the sacrament itself and feeling just quiet and peace and just sitting in the pews with my little sons and going, this is what normal should feel like. This is how how it should be, it was very grounding because every week would reset that right. that crazy tone where I had seen patients all day, hearing their hard stories, and then worrying about uh, whether I'm going to have to sell my house because we our credit's going to go to you know go go to pot. All of those heavy, heavy things. Church would always make me feel better and give me hope or some sort of inspiration that okay, I need to just turn it over to God. I need to trust that there's a reason for all of this and that um, I need spiritual strength. So there wasn't one, there was one particular talk where um, one of the brothers just, he said the word spiritual strength and he talked about some um, trial he had been through. I'm like, Oh my gosh, that's exactly what I need. I need spiritual strength to get through some of these very, very scary modern day worries that I signed up for. <laughs> it wasn't a car accident. It wasn't a health scare. It was something I had watched myself voluntarily sign up for and feel like I had made a big mistake. And why did I do this? All of this regret, putting our family through um, and straining relationships all around. Um, there's a reason why. And now it comes out much more clearly now having been on the other side of it now breaking even i would still call i wouldn't call our business the big gangbuster profits you're a profit making center but boy has it been a, a many object lessons and a deep gratitude for what it takes to run a business and what it takes to when you go to your your burger joint your ice cream parlor your your grocery store the amount of coordination and sheer human effort just to put that thing in your hand after you hand over some paper money or a credit card I have a deep respect for people who can pull that off and pull it off well because we're still working on that and it's been now eight years you've been in business mm -hmm. what, what during those hard times was there thoughts of I can't go to church because those three hours or, or you know two hours now I'm not making money during that time. I need to go to yeah. the store. I need to go shop. I need to help those times. Was there ever thoughts of like, I, I need to do that instead of go to church? In the very beginning, we had, this is something business-wise I've learned too, that you should negotiate to have your business closed on Sundays if you really want to be. So 
rookie mistake. We signed, we thought we negotiated a great contract, but you know, had we had an LDS uh, attorney, you know, legal attorney say, by the way, don't forget to ask for Sundays off and make sure they carve that out of your lease. We didn't do that. And we saw in our lease that you must be open seven days a week. So we're like, Oh no, we can't go back now. We have to do this. And so not knowing that we probably could have just shut down on Sundays, they wouldn't have done anything. There was in the contract that there will be harsh penalties if you're not open during those particular hours. So we were open on Sundays in the first maybe couple of years and never feeling good about that. Never. I mean, but I'm like, we have to, plus we needed to make the money seven days worth of income versus six in a very beginning beginner business in a weekend type of, uh, atmosphere. Um, we even asked a few customers, what do you think if we weren't open on Sundays? Like, Oh, that's terrible. How can you not be open on Sundays? Um, so we asked the wrong people, <laughs> but so we did. And um, that's, that's probably when we felt like, oh my gosh, we have to go to church too. There's not enough time. Um, but we made, Brigham made it a point that we go no matter what. And I'm so glad that we did because that that is the fuel that kept us going. And eventually we just decided we can't keep doing this. It doesn't feel right. Also, logistically, we couldn't get people to work on Sundays. Everybody wants to be off. We didn't, um, my, um, excuse me, my business partner, Kim, was like, I don't have a day off. She, I work Sunday, seven days a week, getting seriously burned out. We just said, we just have to close on Sundays. But going to church on Sunday, um, soon after we decided we're not going to be open anymore was the best decision that we made. But I, I believe that we... I, it's so long ago now. We still strive to go to church on Sundays because I knew we we all needed the blessings on this scary adventure. When when you talk about the the, the struggles and the strained relationships, I'm sure part of it was between husband and wife, but I'm sure a lot of it was between business partners. I, I you know we're supposed to try be Christ like as possible, but I'm sure there was feelings of everything mm-hmm. not Christ like, right? Anger and and like. You're not doing what you mm-hmm. said or, you know, whatever it may be. How are you able to navigate your way through those emotions uh, when so much of it was negative? You know what? I don't know that I, I didn't do a good job. I was angry a lot. Um, I felt like um, I'm, I'm supporting a, a whole lot and um, housing and free this and free that. And, and I, I was, I still have some issues about that as well. Um, but I just learned that this is, um, there's a reason why we, these people were brought into our lives to help them, to help them be successful, um, to help us learn about humility. And, um, I don't know. It's, it it depends on the day, you know, I, I guess, um, I need to keep working on my own feelings of um, anger and regret for signing up for something I didn't really have to do. <laughs> but, but how do you work but, through that? Because but, we're oh, not perfect. Just yeah. because you're on this podcast doesn't mean we've sure. made it and you're successful, right? We're working every yeah, day. Yeah. So, and, and I appreciate your honesty with that. But but how how do you work through that every day when it's uh-huh. such a part of you know what's affecting you? I, I work through it a lot of prayer. Um, I 
I try and I really look at what is going well. And I put it in perspective that um, although I'm having a struggle today with this, um, that there's a bigger plan out there. And this is a, all of this stuff we're dealing with is temporal and temporary. In the bigger picture of things, um, this is not that important. So when I'm worried about uh, ego battles or um, feeling like I didn't get my just due or my recognition, I think that's just my, that's pride and ego talking and that um, there is a bigger purpose for what we're doing. Prayer helps a lot. Um, It also helps being a physician, putting in perspective what really matters because every day I hear, oh my goodness, I hear, um, gut-wrenching stories and um, health turning 180, turning people's lives upside down, the financial calamities that ensued, the histories of childhood traumas, things like that. And that that probably has helped me all along because then I put I can put the whole juice bar thing in perspective and to go, those are, um, as my drinking friends would say, those are champagne problems. <laughs> or we would say first world problems, but that's not very sensitive either to say but these are they're really not um near the the level of importance as they are with other things i deal with as a physician every day the life and death stuff and so that that and always keeping in mind that i feel that the holy spirit was with me in the room when i'm with my patients and i feel like i i call upon the holy spirit to help guide me on what to say because not everything's going to be medical in a medical appointment when you're talking about right. um, your end of life or that you're in chronic pain. Um, there's You can't just keep talking about medications and, and even herbs or supplements because I do a lot of natural medicine. And so when I put that in perspective and I start to feel petty about juice bar business things or even my own work things, um, I pray about it and I say, please just help me get over this this crappy feeling. Um, but I know I have to experience it and then let it go. And then the next day it usually feels a lot better. And I'm like, Oh God, I'm over it. It's okay. I'm not bothered by it anymore. And, and, you know, I love that you talk about perspective because, you know, your husband was, was part of a pretty traumatic event, uh, Mm -hmm. July 4th um, that I'm sure helps put everything into perspective. Goodness. Yeah. So I don't, um, I'm, if you were watching TV on the 4th of July, 2022, uh, in Highland Park, Illinois, there was a mass shooting at our, our 4th of July parade. And that was uh, a very important parade because two years we had none. And it's, like many hometowns, a huge tradition. So there's a bigger turnout than ever because we hadn't had it for two years. We're all excited. And uh, we were standing probably about two blocks away from where the shooting occurred. Um, and to have something like, like that happen, um, a mass casualty event, seven people died, multiple people, uh, wounded and an entire town completely traumatized still to this day. It's only been three and a half months ago that we're, you and I are doing this interview. Um, that really put a lot of things in perspective in terms of, first of all, how awful and, uh, evil things can be but the amount of love that poured out afterwards was absolutely like, you know, 
that to me tells me what life is really about. What's most important is when terrible things happen, it can bring out the best in people. And one of them was, you know, right after, at right, right after we saw everybody grabbing their chairs and fleeing the scene after the shots were fired, my husband had, he went home in a separate car because we took two cars to the parade. I had my kids, my in-laws and dogs. Everybody's just scrambling home and he's races back to the hospital. He sees what he sees. He's resuscitating people who've had their guts blown out and he's just trying to keep them inside there. But I mean, I don't mean to be so graphic, but um, he's describing this to me on the phone right. when I finally get a hold of him. It's like, like what's going on? Anyone we know. That was my, my first question. Anyone we know, because my neighbors, my friends are there. We were going to march in the parade. Um, we could have been shot at. We could have stood where the shooter was. Um, there's so many what ifs that happened. And I was really wanting to go there and help. I said, put on your scrubs, get your ID and just come over and help me. And I settled the kids down. We're all in shock. I'm like, yeah, there was a shooting because we actually didn't hear shots. We were a little too far away and the fire alarm, fire engines were, you know, sounding their horn in parade mode. So we didn't hear everything going on. We just saw panic coming down the street, the band, marching band running at us. So all those things are still very fresh in the mind. And by the time I get to the hospital, it was, it was organized chaos. It was heavy. It was, um, it was a level two community hospital that took in 27 gunshot wound victims all at once. And, um, you know, just seeing the chaos in there and the people covered in blood and the, the relatives like looking for their loved ones and hospital staff scampering around. And I'm sitting there as a family medicine physician who knows about chronic pain and like depression, like how can I help right. these, these people? And that was to help my husband make sure he drank water and that he ate something and that I was just by his side. So also feeling all the text messages we were getting from friends around the world going, are you okay? I, w I saw you on the news. I saw it on the news. Oh my goodness. Um, and then watching my husband go on every major news outlet at four o'clock PM central time on the 4th of July and the press conference. So proud of him and his name um, you know, Brigham R. Temple, MD, North Shore University Health System. You've got to know all of the people from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints knew that this guy is LDS <laughs> just from his name alone and how he handled that interview with such, um, such calm and such um, composure, giving everyone he could think of credit because it was, it has truly been a team effort. So to me, that was, even though it was like the worst reason to give that kind of moment, I, I felt like, um, I don't know, I've never been prouder and proud that he has such a name that, you know, I don't know. It was just uh, on, on so many levels. I, I keep thinking about that interview and then hearing people later on saying, you know, he helped us feel calm in a very, very, um, during a very stressful time. So, you know, that we're still reeling with that as a community. And that also puts all the 
uh, juice bar stresses and pushes it way down in the level of importance um, in terms of the, uh, the minor annoyances or any minor annoyance when you, something like that happens to your community. When looking at, you know, I know it's pretty fresh still, three months, uh, three and a half months. What, what are maybe some of the blessings that have come from it for, for your family, but, but also the community? It's brought us closer. I mean, think about another trauma we had, which was COVID and the pandemic. So taking care of those patients and wondering if we were going to be the first ones to die, being exposed before we had any vaccines or treatments. Um, that brought us closer, but I think having the 4th of July happen, um, that that brought things to a much more um, poignant, uh, granular level of how important it is that we are alive and that we can contribute and love each other and really be a light in a world where there's so much negativity and division, strife, violence, um, falling away from just the essential truths and of course falling away from the gospel like these if anything it's helped us be stronger like i feel like there were so many events that happened that that protected us from being in harm's way um because we were we were supposed to help afterwards so we couldn't be shot we couldn't be uh getting uh, covid19 and dying because we had a we have a purpose to help others i you know who knows only heavenly father knows what the plan was but when i think about why were we spared why weren't we in that crossfire why weren't we the ones who were intubated and you know i don't know i don't know why um why does why do some people um get away and are safe and why do others get shot and severely injured and and we don't know but letting go of trying to control all of that is a, a tremendous relief to know that there's a plan. Um, so I think it brought us a lot closer. There's just no more questioning. <laughs> We've kind of gone over how, how it all started and, and all the way to where we are now. So when you reflect on it, it's, it's a question I ask all my guests. When you look at the whole process that you've been through, how do you go about measuring success now? Ooh, I measure it in my children and their responses um, to going to seminary, for instance, and the level of whining. There's still a fair amount of whining and I'm tired, but there's, or um, the fact that when we go to church, it's not dragging anybody. They're all like, they're dressed. They're like, come on, we're gonna be late. That they are taking the charge on themselves that we're not, as parents, doing all the heavy lifting, trying to convince them this is a good idea, we're supposed to do this. They just they just do it. And I think that's because all of these events in our faith have strengthened us as a family, and they no longer need their parents to tell them, you're supposed to do this. They, they're driven themselves. Um, that, to me, is the biggest measure of success. That's Leslie Temple, co-founder of Mingle Juice Bar in Glenview, Illinois. And while the definition of mingle is to cause to mix together, which a food establishment certainly does, the name is actually a mashup of Leslie, Kim, and Brigham's family surname. The M is for Leslie's maiden name, Mendoza. The I-N-G is taken from their business partner Kim's last name of King. 
and the L and the E is from Brigham's last name of Temple. And while Mingle is known for their acai bowls, smoothies, and green juices, Leslie loves that it's a family-run business where all of her sons also work and gain real-world experience. Check out their website, www.minglejuicebar.com. Thank you for your support. Please help me out by sharing and leaving the show a review. You can also follow us on Instagram using the handle at Fortune and Faith Podcast. New episodes come out every second and fourth Monday of the month. Thanks for listening to Fortune and Faith. I'm Jason Tang. See you next time.